beautiful singing. We appreciate that uh, good message and song, and our kids can go to Children's Church if you'd like to, or you can stay here. Uh, that's fine, too. And, uh, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Matthew 28, and uh, we're so glad that you're, you're here today on this uh, Resurrection Sunday. And what a day that changed everything. You know, we say that, you know, a lot of times they'll say that about Christmas, that when the day that Jesus came changed history. Well, really, history wasn't changed until the cross. History began to be changed that day as Jesus gave his life and he shed his innocent blood so that to pay the sin debt of all mankind, that whosoever would call upon him would not perish but have everlasting life. But then it really changed on Sunday morning because that Jesus that they laid in that borrowed tomb, and the reason it was borrowed was because he wasn't going to need it very long. They laid him there, and what, how, what a, a treacherous day that was. And just, we can't even fathom the, the pain that Jesus endured. You think about the most excruciating pain that you have ever felt. And that doesn't come close to touching what Jesus endured on the cross. And yet he did it. When we endure pain, it's not because we want to. It's because something's happened and we, we, we have to. But Jesus did it because he wanted to. And what a marvelous thing that is. And boy, if you ever doubted that God loves you, that ought to show it to you. But then, that's not the end of the story. Because Sunday morning came. That is what changed because that dead Jesus was now a risen Lord. And boy, does that change everything. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Uh, and we're going to read verses 1 through 17 this morning. Uh, this morning, I'm going to read it from the ESV. Uh, you follow along in whatever Bible you've had, or it will be on the screen. It says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he laid. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. 
And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. What a marvelous and wonderful story at at sunrise service this morning. I challenge folks, and I'm going to issue that challenge again uh, today and maybe early this next week. Take some time together as a family to read the four gospel accounts of Easter, uh, of the resurrection. It's in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they all have a little bit different spin on the story. And again, it doesn't mean that one's wrong or that, you know, one saw better than the other. It just means that they had, it's different people telling the same story, but from a different perspective. And reading all four of them together really helps us get a full, better picture of what took place that marvelous First Easter morning. What a sight that must have been. And boy, these ladies, um, the the disciples, their world was rocked by what they had encountered. Uh, They were afraid, they were excited, they were joyful. I mean, every emotion imaginable, they were experiencing it just about at the same time. And so they were on overload, as you can, can well imagine, after the tragedy and the, those sad emotions of Friday that had taken place just a couple days earlier. The Sabbath, uh, you know, came, and it was a quiet, dismal day. And then after the Sabbath was over, early, early in the morning, before the sun even rose, at least three women, uh, Mary Magdalene, Mary, and Salome. Uh, Salome's not mentioned here, but she is in Mark, uh, in Luke. Went to anoint Jesus' body. Went, went with spices and, and, and different things. They weren't allowed to do that. Uh, evident, and, you know, those burial customs because of the Sabbath coming. And remember, that's, uh, you know, had a part to play in that, in that crucifixion story. But what a marvelous, wonderful story. And they, I mean, it really is the thing that changed human history. No other event in human history has had as far-reaching effect as the resurrection. There have been a lot of things that have had a lot of impact on all of us. But none of them have had a bigger impact than the resurrection. That first Easter morning, it changed everything. And as we read through Matthew's account of the resurrection, 
we find several people that had experienced that marvelous event and had a part to play in it. And their roles were different and their reactions were different. And so this morning, I want to take a look at some of those reactions. So first of all, I want us to see that, you know what, some declared. There were people in the story that declared certain things. And the first ones that we meet that did some declaring were some angels. Angels like to declare stuff in the Bible, don't they? Uh, and so there was a, an earthquake of, uh, you know, that took this stone that had been put in front of Jesus to keep his disciples from coming and stealing Jesus' body away. Uh, and so they put this huge boulder in front of that opening to this tomb. Early in that morning, an earthquake, the ground shook. And... Maybe these angels helped, but that stone was rolled away. And what an awe-inspiring thing that must have been. In fact, it was so concerning and frightening that these Roman centurions, these guard, these hardened soldier guys, uh, you think about, you know, the, the, they were Navy SEALs, if you will. They, they were the top of the top. They were not wet behind the ears soldiers. They were well-experienced, strong, battle-worn soldiers. But what they saw scared them so much, they passed out. Have you ever been so afraid you passed out? Thankfully, I haven't, but maybe you have. But they, they blacked out. And here come these ladies. And they're understandably concerned. They had felt this, the ground shake. And they had asked in Mark, as we read this morning uh, earlier, uh, the ladies wondered, how are we going to move that big stone to get to Jesus' body? And so they, they met this angel. And the angel's message, what angels always say, don't be afraid. He said, I know who you are looking for, and he is not here. A few seasons earlier, when Jesus came, remember the angels declared to the shepherds, hey, born to you this day is the Savior. And here the angels are again proclaiming good news that, hey, listen, the one that you're looking for isn't here. He's left the building, or the cave in this case. But they declared what had taken place. Even the centurions that were so scared declared what had happened. They told the truth. They ran. They were afraid because in that day, if you were put in charge of a prisoner and that prisoner escaped, you were dead. It was a death sentence. And so they were very, very concerned for themselves. But they had gotten away. They went into town, went to the high priest, and told them all 
what had happened. He said that this great big earthquake came, the stone rolled away, I saw this angel, these women came, the angel spoke to him. Uh, this is crazy. But they, they all declared the message, and, and Jesus even finds himself in this story declaring. And he says to the ladies, hey, here I am. I want you to go and I want you to tell the disciples to meet me in Galilee. And they, they go and do, and you'll learn as you read the other Gospels, they didn't believe them. They thought they were crazy. And Peter and John went and ran, and they found it just as the ladies had said, and they come back to the other disciples and say, hey, listen, it, it really is, but that tomb is empty. And they still didn't believe, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But you know what? So there's declaration. The Easter story should, if you have found it to impact your life, it is a story you should be declaring every day, not just on Easter. Because the reality of the resurrection is not just reality on Easter. The reality of the resurrection is reality and impacts our life every single day of our life. It is perhaps one of the most uh, impacting things, at least it should be for us. And so we're challenged to declare. But then, as I've already begun to mention, some doubted. These disciples, the ones that Jesus walked and talked with for three years, ate, slept, taught, ministered with, doubted. Even when there was a whole that you remember doubting Thomas, even after the others had come and told him, hey, listen, we saw it too. Remember he said, unless I see with my own eyes and feel with my hands those scars, the nail prints, I will not believe. And the thing is, and why I wanted to bring this out in the story, is I think all of us, at various times, doubt. We doubt various things in life, but the doubt that I'm talking about is our doubt about God. And while there's some of us that get the idea that that's a bad thing, I think the gospel serves to remind us that doubt's not such a bad thing after all. In fact, it's human. Because what Jesus asks us to believe is not natural. It's supernatural. And that's why our natural selves have such a hard time grasping with it, grappling with it, wrestling with it. In fact, the Bible says that unless the Spirit reveals these things to us, we can't understand them. And so the thing about the resurrection and what we do with it. And the claim that Jesus makes on our life is not that we never doubt, but that we don't let doubt take us away from the Savior. That we take our doubt and we can be honest with God. And it's not going to unsettle God. God is not up there wringing his hand saying, oh no, Aaron doesn't understand this. 
he, he, he's not bothered by that. But our response to that doubt should be to go to God and say, Hey God, I sure don't understand this. Would you help me to? James said, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask God. Then God will give it to him. And so we can take our doubts and we can take our questions. And in fact, faith that isn't doubted and wrestled with is really not faith. There are a lot of people that grow up in church and then all of a sudden they leave. Why? Because what brought them you know, to church and, or, or, and to faith was not their faith, it was mom and dad's faith or grandma and grandpa's faith. And they never wrestled and they never questioned and they never settled those questions. God is okay with you asking if he's real. He's okay asking him why certain things happen. Job, in the Old Testament, asked. And by the way, on the very rare occasion, God showed up and audibly answered Job. And you remember Job... Uh, said at the end of the, uh, God, I'm sorry, never mind. He said he never cursed God. He asked questions. And because he asked questions, he was able to say, you know what, even though all kinds of stuff's going on in my life and I don't like it, this is what he said, I know my Redeemer lives. And he was able to say that because he had made his faith personal. And that's what brings us into a relationship with God, and that's what changes our life. That's what puts the power of the resurrection into our life, is by personally deciding to have a relationship with God. That's what makes the difference. And so it's not necessarily bad to doubt and question. In fact, I suggest to us that it's a good thing. And maybe we ought to do some more questioning before we just blankets, you know, believe something. Do we test it out? Do we compare it against Scripture? Do we pray about it and ask God, hey, is this real? And he'll show us. But we need to make our faith our own. That's why Peter was so changed when we meet him after the resurrection because he'd walked with Jesus and he'd always had a lot of faith. Remember, it was just Peter that walked on water. He's the only human to ever have done it. So he was a man of faith and a man of action. But Peter was dramatically changed, and the way Peter behaved was dramatically changed after the crucifixion and after Easter morning because Peter had experienced firsthand the forgiveness of the Almighty. He knew what it was to have questioned and wrestled and even denied Jesus but then he knew the joy of Jesus loving him and forgiving him. 
And so there were some in this story that declared what God had done. There were some that doubted and questioned. There were some, thirdly, that deceived. And boy, Satan and his minions have been deceiving since the very beginning. And he won't stop, by the way, until he's ultimately defeated by God in the last days. But, so the soldiers, remember, they had declared... We talked about that earlier. Well, the high priest certainly could not admit that that was reality of what had taken place. They would be in big trouble if they'd done that. And so they couldn't have that. So they did what so many do. They took money and connived a plan to lie and deceive. Isn't it interesting? The truth doesn't cost us money. It doesn't cost us anything to tell the truth. But boy, does lying cost. And getting people to believe a lie costs. And so they came up with this money. They said, hey, let us pay you some money. Just like they paid Judas to betray Jesus. Now they said, hey, soldier, take this money Tell them that the disciples came and stole Jesus' body. Now, never mind what happened to that stone. They, you know, we didn't, you know, what, what were they going to say about that? But say that the disciples, these 12 ragtag bunch of men, overthrew this, these Roman soldiers, the Navy SEAL tough guys, as if. But tell them that's what happened. And hey, when the governor hears about it and he's going to sentence you to death, we'll take care of it. We'll make sure that it's okay with him. We'll let him know that it's all just, uh, that it wasn't real. So there was deception in this story as well. Why? Because if the resurrection is true, then all the claims of the law and tradition and formalism was dead. The high priests had lost all their power if this was true. The people would no longer bring their sacrifices and their offerings. People would worship Jesus instead. And boy, they couldn't have that. And so they hatched up a plan. People in this world spend a lot of time and a lot of energy fighting and arguing against something they claim doesn't exist. It, it doesn't make much sense. It's not logical to me. If it's not true. Why bother arguing about it? It'll fizzle out. But the reality is that it is true. And so if the resurrection is true, that means Jesus Christ was God. That means he was the Savior. He was the Messiah. He was the one that the Old Testament had promised was going to come 
to deliver God's people. But he didn't come with the body of a Navy SEAL. He didn't come riding on a big white horse with a big cavalry coming behind him. No, instead, he laid his life down. And it was through laying his life down and then raising again that gives us the power to overcome. Then we find, lastly this morning, there were some that worshipped. There were some that fell down at Jesus' feet. These women, as they, they were fearful in the beginning. In fact, they didn't want to say anything. And then they met Jesus on the way back to where the, the apostles were. And they met Jesus. Matthew tells us they grabbed his feet, they fell at his feet, and they worshipped him. Because the one that was dead is now alive. They go and do as Jesus told them to. They, they found that courage. Worshiping is ascribing worth to something. And there's nothing more worthy of our worship than God Almighty. And the reason that he is so worthy of worship, he's worthy just simply because he's God, because he's above all else. And that alone makes God worthy of our worship. But that's not the only reason why we worship him. You see, he indeed is worthy. And would he be worthy of our worship if he had done nothing else other than be God? Absolutely he would. But he's worthy of our worship because he loved you and he loved me and he loved the whole world so much that he left the glory of heaven and came to this old fallen world and dealt with doubters and persecutors and naysayers, dealt with slaps, dealt with plucking his beard out, dealt with being whipped, dealt with having nails shoved into his wrists and into his legs. Why did he do it? He did it for you. He did it for me. He did it for all the whosoevers in the world because he knew that every one of us owed a debt that we could not pay. Because every one of us has sin in our life. And sin, God says, is a disease. And the only cure for it is sinless blood. Guess what? None of you have it. I don't have it. No human being has it. But there was one who did. 
and his name is Jesus. And Jesus, because he was fully man and fully God, he was tempted, Hebrews tells us, in every way that we are, yet was found without sin. And because he was found without sin, his blood was able to pay my sin debt and your sin debt and the sin debt of all the whosoevers. And so for that reason, he is worthy of our worship. He's God, but he also came and gave himself for us. But then he's worthy of our worship because he says, you know what, I love you so much and you're so special to me, I'm not only going to die for you and give you new life, but I'm going to call you son and I'm going to call you daughter. I'm going to make you new and in fact, I'm going to give you new life. Though you were dead in sin, I'm going to make you alive. And as you, by faith, have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've made that decision, if you've encountered the risen Savior and made him yours, he has changed your life. And he has come, and he's made you new, and he's working on continuing to make you new. And for that, he's worthy of our worship. And by the way, not just on Sunday, but on Monday, and on Friday, and on Saturday, In fact, every day, he's worthy of our worship. Because if your life is not impacted every day by Jesus, then chances are it's not really been impacted by Jesus. Because you can't just be part-time in the service of the Lord and belonging to him. Les is not just married to me a couple days a week. She's got me 24-7, bless her heart. She's got me in sickness and in health. She's she's got me when she's happy with me, and she's got me when she's aggravated with me. She can't get rid of me. She can't shake me loose. And you see, that's the way that we need to understand our relationship with Jesus Christ is. It's not just something we go to when we're in trouble or when there's bad things going on in our world but that he is our Lord and Savior 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. Or he is none. And that's the reality of Resurrection Sunday. So we've looked at these groups of people. We've looked at ones who declare and some who doubt and some who deceive and some who have worshipped. So I close this morning with simple questions. As we wrap up, what are you going to do? You see, every character in this story made a decision about how they were going to handle the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here, this is the first time you've ever heard that story. Well, here's the thing, you've heard it now. And so now you've got to do something with it. You can declare that, hey, listen, Jesus has changed my life. And the reality is the resurrection power, it doesn't make our life 
glowy and sparkly and easy, but it does change us and it makes us new. Maybe you've got questions and I'm telling you that's okay to have some questions. Just don't let those questions take you in the wrong direction. Seek out the answers and you'll find God at the end of those questions. I hope you're not deceived. There are a lot of people in this world that are deceived either in thinking the resurrection didn't happen or that the resurrection doesn't matter. And yet the resurrection is one of the most attested to events in human history. There's more written about it than just about any other event in human history. Maybe God says to you, you know what? Realize and understand I'm worthy of your worship. I don't want just your lip service, and I don't want you part-time. I want full custody. I want you to be mine. And the day you need to surrender to the Lord and say, you know what, God, you are worthy of my worship and my life. And so I hope this Resurrection Sunday will remind us, I hope it will remind us and help us to declare we are changed because Jesus went from being dead to being alive. And as our Lord and Savior went from dead to being alive, God's Word says, you know what, when we believe in Christ, we go from being dead in our sin, and we're made alive in Christ. And I hope you know that reality today. That's something to celebrate. That's something to smile about and rejoice over. Let's stand together as we pray this morning. Lord, we thank you that you did not stay dead. Lord, we thank you that the resurrection is indeed historical fact. But Lord, the fact that it is historical fact is not what makes it so transformative. For it doesn't really make a difference in us until we realize it for ourselves. And Lord, if there's one here today joining us in person or on Facebook or on YouTube that never has trusted you, they've never received that free gift, would you help them today to receive that great gift of being changed, of having new life? Lord, maybe there's one of your children here today that are doubting, and maybe the message today was to them, it's okay. Question and wrestle. But do it honestly and and find that God is at the end of those questions. And maybe there's some here today that have just been reminded of the wonder and the glory of the change that you've made in our life. And we just need to praise you and thank you. Lord, thank you for the power and the truth of the resurrection. And as we leave this place this morning, help us to live the message. Help us to declare, hey, Jesus is alive. And that truth has changed me, and it can change all those that will believe. Help us, we pray, to respond as you've asked us to. 
pray this morning as we sing in just a moment. If God spoke in your heart and there's a decision you need to make today, this Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday 2022, would be a great time to make that decision for the Lord. So as we sing, if you need to make a decision, the altars are open. You're welcome to come up here and pray. You can pray where you're standing. But you do business with the Lord while he's speaking to you as we sing this morning. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, and life is worth the living. Just because he lives.